Hi, John. Merlin, man. How's it going? Good. How are you going? I'm going pretty good. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it feels weird to do this on a Thursday. Yeah, it's weird, right? What do you normally do on Thursdays? Thursday's usually my um, my admin day. Oh, you do admin? Well, you know, people or- have, people who have jobs, they use that phrase, I'm working from home. Yeah. Yeah, so Thursdays... What does that mean? Oh, you know, well, for men, it usually means masturbation. Um, but uh, Thursday is my day when I usually take care of lots of little things that just kind of keep things running. Do you do you t- do you do that? I mean, do you take care of little things, or is it just the day that you set aside to take care of little things and then get distracted? Um, well, you know how it is. It's an ongoing. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge, right? You're always painting the Golden Gate Bridge. You're never mm-hmm. done painting the golden gate bridge mm, 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 you know about mm. this like there's always like basically it takes a year the way it's scheduled is supposedly it takes a year to paint the golden gate bridge mm-hmm. and so basically you know you're just you you're painting it you're painting parts you're painting it you're never not painting the golden gate bridge because it always needs some painting i understand that and i love that yeah it's like life as a uh, boat ownership so it could be stuff that's as simple as it could be just like day-to-day stuff like i want to make sure we're caught up on dishes and pans because maybe you got a chicken pan that's been sitting around for a day or two Chicken pan. You get a chicken pan sometimes. You just don't want to clean a chicken pan, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've never cleaned a chicken pan, but then I don't uh, generate chicken pans. We generate chicken pans. We're a chicken family. We do a lot of things in pans. and uh, and But then it could be stuff moving up the ladder. You get into the, into the uh, equally boring stuff, like make sure that there is toilet paper in the house and that it has been properly located to the bathroom where needed, deployed, catching up on you, supplies... I hate to interrupt, but Not doesn't your toilet paper, isn't that on some kind of Amazon Prime alert system where it's yeah. connected to your Nest or something? Mm-hmm. And when you when you get down, it just auto-orders? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It knows that when we drop down to about 68 degrees, it's time for toilet paper. Some of those <laughs> things you can do, but you got to be careful because then you end up with too many paper towels. And then you got to put that somewhere. <laughs> Buddy. It's a little bit of an art, but I go through I go through all the pantries, because this is super interesting, but this is what I do on Thursdays. I go through all the pantries to make sure, oh, are we running out of that uh, soy milk drink my daughter likes? Uh, all the stuff all the stuff that nobody but me thinks about. Are we running out of half and half? I do all of those things, uh, and I, I take care of those kinds of things. And I try to fit in, on a Thursday, I try to fit in some kind of a nice-to-have. Like, I try to do a nice family thing. Surprising family thing on Thursdays, and then Friday like get, sometimes I go see a movie. Do you ever get a Do you ever get a bag of lint lint balls just for the table? <laughs> you come in, you say you need a table, just order that pizza right up. But uh, it's uh, it's my idea of power puttering in a lot of ways, and you know, uh, but but it's nice to talk to you. I feel like it's been a long time. Does anybody in the house, your house, use half and half besides you? Honestly, I am mostly off half and half Whoa. which makes it difficult because if everybody's doing lots of half and half it's actually easier to manage if you have mm-hmm. zero people doing half and half it's not a problem right if you have somebody two people who are doing lots of half and half you're getting it regularly enough the trouble is you get yourself you get a quart of half and half and it goes a lot faster than you think especially yeah. if you don't remind your husband you need to get more of it uh back in the day you went through more half and half than anybody than any two people i ever saw i made it it was more like a starbucks drink what i used to make and now right here like the thing i just made for mm-hmm. for our program mm-hmm. that's just black coffee that's just black pete's coffee black pete we call it 
<laughs> oh, Black Pete. <laughs> uh, Berkeley's, Berkeley's uh, favorite son. <laughs> uh, he's a big part of the Dutch culture. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He had to change his name at Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's stupid. Uh, but you know what? I've Also, what I do now, I do a very Roderick-ish thing a lot of mm-hmm. days, especially mm-hmm. if I'm going to do some morning puttering at the house. And so uh, I'm really into those, uh, like you get some, uh, you know, I like beakers and flasks. I just like the way that they look. Well, I do too. So I'll take a one, uh, take a 1000 milliliter, a one liter beaker, like a regular old straight up beaker, fill it to the top with ice and then I'll cover that with hot coffee and I'll drink that. No, no half and half. Oh, that's beautiful. It's real, real good. Real, real good. I have, I have some giant beakers. Do you still use your Steins? Uh, I'm drinking out of a Stein right now. My current today's Stein is a uh, vintage. Oh, it's a Lowenbrau Stein oh. from München in uh, Deutschland. Here's to good friends. Tonight is kind of special. That's right. I think this is a different kind of Lowenbrau, but but yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but I in the summertime I use my giant beakers to make iced tea. Mm-hmm. And then it's you somewhere between a personal. It's somewhere between a personal amount and something you'd share with others. It's mostly just a very, very large portion for you. Well, these beakers that I have are a foot tall or Whoa. eighteen inches tall. They're like very, very. You can barely fit them in the refrigerator. Wow, it's like a multi-liter unit. Yeah, right. And I, sometimes I'll make one with iced tea and one with lemonade. Oh and that's, man! You know, and then I just feel like. I don't want to drink anything out of them because they're so perfect as they are. Looking here, two liter graduated. F- oh, look at that. Oh, see, now this is a real. Oh, this is made by Corning, so it's very mm-hmm. costly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't usually mm-hmm. get the Corning brand because they're very, very costly. Uh, do other uh, brands meet your specs? Well, not as much as I'd like, but the truth is you can get a lot of knockoff stuff really cheap. You know what they want? What these, what these animals of Corning want for a two liter graduated low form Griffin Beaker? $12. $119. That's outrageous. That's that's a little more than I'd like to spend. I feel like you can get these at medical and scientific supply uh, auction type or situations, like yes. um, surplus situations. Okay. But you don't know what's been in those beakers. I know. I know. It's certainly something to think about. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a lot. This is not so dissimilar from our philosophy of making all the bacon. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're going to make the tea, you might as well make all the tea. The thing is, I make a tea, and this is really bad, but we don't, we haven't for a while had like an iced tea, uh, what would you call it? Like a, what do you call it? Pitcher? So mm-hmm. I just use a blender. I make it in the blender. Hmm? Isn't that sad? Yeah, yeah, it's real sad. What I'll do is, uh, so here, what I do is I make that Lipton's, that uh, really cheap Lipton's iced tea mix mix. Look, you, you don't in, have to tell me. You put in a bag that's, or two of that. That and stuff is fantastic. A liter of boiling water. And then you just cover it with ice, and you got iced tea. That's all you got to do. Oh, you put the you put the boiling water. Okay, all right. I mean, you, make, you always add an extra step uh, that feels fancy to me. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Well, it's the little things, you know, the little things. And then drinking it, you know, then you put it put a uh, put a, put a um, uh, blender in your refrigerator. Uh-huh. That makes your uh-huh. wife happy to come home and see a blender full of tea. <laughs> but you don't. You want some of that? You don't blend it, right? You don't. You don't use it as a blender. You no, just it's use not it a functional. It's not functioning as I should have said. No, uh-huh. no, no, no. It's the pitcher for the blender device right. that right. is water, you know, resistant. What so. would happen if you blended iced tea? 
Wow. Just with itself. Just with itself. You didn't blend it with anything else. I have to imagine it would be different just for, because of physics. Yeah, it would aerate it. It would make uh-huh. it light and fluffy. It I would make think. it foamier. You get you get a foamy, uh, foamy, fluffy, or you get like a Vitamix. You get one of those really serious ones that you can grind up a celery in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now take the tea, put mm-hmm. in the boiling water, which seems like the fancy step, extra fancy. Put the ice in on the top of it yeah. in the blender and then blend it. But you, you so take you out the a, bags, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You wouldn't want to have the bags in. Oh, wait. So you're saying let it steep. Yeah. What I do is, and this is, I'm just following the directions on the cheapo Lipton tea, but I think it's, I don't know if I forget if it's one giant bag or two giant bags. I haven't made it in a while. But yeah. Yeah. And then put it with the boiling water. Now you got a super strong tea. You could yeah. blend that and then add the water, but I'm I'm guessing just because of the the accretion of molecules that adding ice to basically bring it up, to, you could make a slushy. You could make an iced tea slushy. An iced tea slushy and drink it out like it, a little baseball cap, like from a Seven Eleven. But if your iced tea slushy then melted in the in the refrigerator over the course of days, uh-huh. would it? It turns into in iced end, tea. It turns into what, it's a Mitch Hedberg <laughs> thing. It's like the escalators turn into steps. <laughs> would it though be indistinguishable from an iced tea made conventionally? There's or only there one way to find to... out, and that's science. I'm going to need to buy two blenders, yeah. and I'm going to do a side by side a uh, <laughs> a uh, longitudinal study. Right. And, because uh, and oh, you need two out. blenders because in order yeah. for. T- for the study to have a control, Gotta have you'd, a have control to make, blender. Mm-hmm. you'd have the normal tea in the blender that you're not using as a blender. Yeah. I mean, well, how, yeah. would you, how would you yeah. do it? Well, you could, instead of buying another blender, you could just buy a pitcher. But isn't that, that's not science, is it? No, it wouldn't be. You wouldn't have a control. Because then you get leaching. You get molecular leaching mm-hmm. off the edges of the, uh, the other one. Well, and who knows how much like psychic reverberation there is inside a blender. Yeah. Like, I mean, can, can a blender ever really be empty? I mean, if really? you're if, if you're an ice cube or a tea bag, mm-hmm. and and you go mm, and you go in a blender, okay, you've got to be conscious of those blades, even yeah. if they're not hooked up to the blender. Treat treat right? every uh, firearm like it's loaded. That's exactly it. I can't get my kid. I can't there. get my kid to understand that concept. Does she like play with a bunch of unloaded firearms and, and act like more than I'd unloaded? like? Yeah, no, I got a wrist rocket that I have, I have not put into production yet, and she really likes to play with it. And I'm really trying to persuade her to not play with the wrist rocket. She likes to play with it in the house. Well, she, it's not loaded, but still, right. it is. If you imagine, you this is a really, really nice wrist rocket. It's got like huh. surgical tubing, and it's like huh. got, got a compound crossbow type component to it. And I, if memory serves, I think it has a camo grip. What is your uh, imagined use for this high-tech wrist rocket. I loved wrist rockets as a kid, and I was very destructive with them. And that and, was that was something I uh, I think actually somebody got it for me as a gift off my Amazon list. And uh, I have not put it into production yet. I'm imagining my daughter and I will go into the woods and we we, we will bond. We were not going to hunt for things because nothing's sadder than winging a bird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? True. Did you don't get don't good? point don't point this is number two don't point it. Don't point anything at any anyone, you know, unless you're trying to kill it. Yeah, unless you're going to send a marble up its ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bird's did, got it did, coming. Did you get Did you get good at wrist rocket? It sounds like you did. I got pretty good at wrist rocket. I I was pretty good. You know, there's those those kinds of peasant weapons. You get you get the capoeira. You get the bow staff. You get all the stuff like oh ho yeah. You know the uh, the guy who owns all the land says you're not allowed to learn how to fight. So you got to come up with all these like like ah I got a pitchfork or whatever. I right. was good with that. I was good at snapping towels. I was great mm-hmm. at shooting paper clips from rubber bands. I could mm-hmm. shoot. I was really good at shooting McDonald's coffee stirs with a rubber band. 
Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all of the ad hoc ch- child weapons I was pretty good at. I, I could have been on some kind of a uh, Ocean's Eleven team, I think. So, like, uh, how, how about spitballs? Pretty good with spitballs. You're talking, like, with a straw? Spitballs with a straw. Spitballs is a weapon. Any kind of, oh, like, yes. it's a weapon of annoyance, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, but, like, when you're lonely, everything is fun. So I would yeah. just sit in a room and just splatter the wall with them. Can you imagine an Ocean's Eleven scenario where there's, like, the the peasant peasant weapons kid and there's some button all the way across the room and everybody's like how do we get to the button like the alarm or whatever it can't be it can't be anything too sharp and it can't be a bullet what what do we have that's hard but soft and can be shot from a distance by somebody who's some kind of a genius with accuracy yeah and we couldn't get in here with anything metal because of the metal detectors and then the kid pulls out the straw and Mm -hmm. it's just like leave it to me his name's steven he never talks (laughs) and then does it yeah. How about did you did you have the did you make wooden guns with um with like paper clip or uh like uh clothes pins? Right. No. Like that's like a boy scout kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever did. You you like to set things on fire, is that right? I was a pyro, yeah. And I was always trying to I was always trying to use household items to make bombs or mm-hmm. napalm. Yeah. And I didn't really You made homemade get, homemade homemade napalm. I did, yeah. Whoa. And, you know, it's not that hard to make. There are a lot of different recipes for it. It's not safe. No. I mean, it's not... Uh, napalm isn't going to spontaneously explode, but if it does get on you, you're in... You, you, it's harder to get off. That's the. That's why... Uh, that's why, that's why they, yeah, that's why they do it. That's why they called it napalm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and a, that's like a jelly gasoline is the idea? Yeah, it's like gasoline with any kind of laundry detergent or you know i was making maltov cocktails all the time and trying to figure out what the best recipe for those was and i don't i guess partly it's growing up in a rural or semi-rural area where a kid can go out into the into the acre forested lot in between the two apartment complexes and Mm -hmm. just start fires all day and nobody ever (laughs) i mean that was back when nobody ever like went up to a kid and said, what are you doing, kid? Right. It was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just over here starting fires. And there were adults around. They drove by They drove by and could see the the bonfires I was creating. <laughs> I just picture what it must have looked like, me, like, like stirring a big cauldron of... You would be in a special school so freaking fast today. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I would. I mean, and who was it? wasn't Kufel. Who's the guy who found the stuff in your locker and was disappointed? Jackalford. Oh, yeah. right. He, he was but so you know, disappointed. By that point in time, I was in high school, but this is all stuff that I would... I've told you before, right? That being a latchkey kid was its own kind of, of uh, like, joy and also psychic punishment. None of my friends were latchkey kids. They all came home and their mom was there. Mm-hmm. And she had little sandwiches for them. And mm. then there was TV time. I and hate those kids. And uh, I got home and at my mom's house, you know, I I carried a key around my neck on a piece of red uh, yarn, uh, just a single key. My dad didn't lock his house. Mm -hmm. So depending on whose house I went to after school, you know, I'd go in and then it was like, okay, entertain yourself. 
for the rest of the day. And I, I, I would do a lot of things that I imagined were scientific. Um, many of them involve like mixing things together, laundry detergents, seeing how much stuff I could flush down the toilet. Uh, did you ever go through a phase like that? No, I was I I was always toilet averse. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's did, probably did healthy. you have did you yeah did you have a uh, like junior science kit? No, my friend John did, and I envied it a little bit. But and this was even back in the day when you could make little explosions and stuff. I think. I, I liked, again, once again, I liked the beakers, and it came, I think, with some tweezers and a dropper, uh, maybe some reagent, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. All the science things. Did you, did you have stuff like that? Did, that? did that appeal to you? Um, the science kit was like the book uh, and, and devices that tried to teach you how to do magic. Mm-hmm. I loved, people would give me like junior magician kit or junior scientist kit. And like you, I loved the beakers. I loved the little hollow coins and the foam oh, yeah. balls and the rings. And you could put a microfilm in there. All that stuff. But what I didn't love was reading the instructions. And I didn't love going through a it methodical so process hard to of do. learning. I think one reason I, I despise magicians today is because I had such a difficult time trying to make the cup and balls happen. It or was you know, mur- or, the, or the the coin where you got to do the sleight of hand work and all that kind of stuff. You know, being a magician is. I have always felt like it's an example, kind of like being a really good guitar player or really good at anything. Mm-hmm. All of those things require the yeah, that, that weird that weird feeling where you envy someone for what must have been a really boring young life. And you envy them their anxiety or whatever it was that 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 drove them to sit and play with the loneliness cards and the loneliness and for six the hours a day loneliness combined with like um, obsessive uh, yeah. nature and the, the curiosity combined with the willingness and time frame to be able to practice this for hours and hours and hours until it seemed like a normal thing. It's crazy because you, you look at Ricky Jay and you go, <sighs> "This guy, I watch him. him all day. I love him so much." Um, but to get that good at cards and stay that good at cards, you would have to be uh, so different from me. Mm-hmm. And um, and and to do it just seems like murder. I bet he never thinks about toilet paper. The way they make it look in those mini movies I've seen about him is that he just sits in a hotel room and like basically just shuffles cards for six hours a day. That's just like yeah. what he does. Yeah, which is which is great. You know. Considering, like, there are a lot of people that sit in a hotel room mm-hmm. and just bite their fingernails, or, mm. or I mean, it's it'd be great to have a thing that but you just always watch, did. watch chopped, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, as someone who didn't have that kind of patience or makeup, um, and I and I think part of it, and and probably as he's doing it, his mind is elsewhere. But I I, I always had what I consider to be the advantage of. Um, being able to sit for long periods of time and just stare at a spot on the wall. I always thought, I always felt like in some ways that was my superpower because I never got bored. I could just, you could just sit me somewhere and turn my chair facing the corner and I would just drift off into a world of make-believe. Ding, ding. Uh, Was that a Mr. Rogers reference? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Lady Elaine. (laughs) 
And I would st- I would sit in my land of make believe until something. Sometimes someone had to come and actually shake me because from across the room they'd been saying John, John, and I was just a thousand miles away. And it used to really worry my dad. But my mom was very protective of it, I think, because her dad was like that. Mm-hmm. So I would just sit and stare out the window. And I didn't need, couldn't, I, it, it was so much more preferable to do that than it would have been to be manipulating cards or reading instruction manuals. But, I, but now I see it as kind of like, oh, that was maybe a disadvantage in that all, it, all that does is train you to well, either train you to do that or like it makes your land of make-believe very real mm-hmm. to you. Is it possible that these are different flavors of a young person dealing with young demon dogs? Where like you discover, like I was not cut out for magic because I don't have the patience or the dexterity or really, to be honest, the interest. But for oh. somebody else, like, like a Ricky Jay or like, like my friend Jamie, like somebody who will just sit there... And like every spare moment, there'll be like there's a coin in their hand or there's a, a card in their hand, and it's it's more like a lifestyle, yeah. right? For you, that might be conjuring a fireball or looking out a window or, or playing World War II again. Like, but I wonder if in some ways, like, will you find an accommodation for your for your little your your demon puppies? I think so. I mean, you think about kids that suffer from anxiety. There are a lot of them, mm-hmm. and you know, rather than sit and and fidget with your thumbnail until you don't have a thumbnail anymore. If you could put cards in that kid's hand and say, like, just do the cards. Um, I think probably people self-soothe a lot like that. And my self-soothing, yeah, was there was a lot of World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fire, the burning, I'm sure there's been plenty of, like, science around uh, pyromaniac kids. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to burn out of control fires. I loved keeping a fire under control. There's a lot of angles to it. I don't think it's just as simple as like, oh, you're a psycho bedwetter, like cat killer kid who sets fires. There's like you say, there's the element of control. There's the element of like theatricality. There's there's a lot mm-hmm. to it. I would dig pits. Mm-hmm. I would I would schlep down. I mean, I would go through. People, I'd find like an open garage and I'd go in there and I would find everything that said flammable on it and I would collect an armload of, of different stuff, right? Different kinds of flavors of things. And then I would go see what, how they burned mm-hmm. and what happened if you put them together. Did they burn differently and the colors that they made? And I loved aerosol stuff <sighs> because you it get, would just get you some right guard and a lighter. Oh, yeah. Oh, or or Aquanet. 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 Sure. Oh, that's living. But I often did it. I often would just sit in the house. My dad had one of those fireplaces that was, um, you could flick a switch and some fire would come. Oh, like a oh, gas, gas, like a one. gas fireplace. But it, but you could put logs in it too. Ooh. Um, the gas was kind of a fire starter. Maybe you'd put some logs in, turn on the flip the switch and it would start fire, a fire for you. Fire starter. <laughs> This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. To learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com. And with Squarespace, oh, come on, you guys know Squarespace. How do you not have a Squarespace site already? You can use it to create a beautiful website. You can turn a cool idea into your new website. You can showcase your work. You can create a blog or publish other kinds of online content. 
and sell products and services. Promote your physical or online business. You got a restaurant, put it on Squarespace. Announce upcoming events. I do this. You do so much more. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online right there on your very own site. There's that ability to customize the look and feel, settings, products, all that, just a few clicks. It's all right in there. Everything is optimized for mobile, straight out of the box. It looks great on every kind of device or dingus. And now they have a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. They have analytics that help you grow in real time. Built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And plus they have award-winning 24 by 7 support in case you ever need help. And so we want you to go out and make it. You make it yourself. You can easily create a website by yourself. I've used Squarespace for years. You're listening to the Roderick on the Line podcast, which has been hosted on Squarespace since the very beginning. I've never even given a thought of going anywhere else. I love using it, and I think you will too. So please go. You check out squarespace.com and get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use that offer code ROTL. That will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So please go to squarespace.com. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick Online and all the great shows. Oh, that, and but that's sit- also good. That's a controlled environment. You got you a pit that you can live with there. It was nice. I would, I would, and I was home alone, you know, after school, and I would sit there sometimes with spray paint, which mm-hmm. also is a great flamethrower. Mm. And I would just light the spray paint and just blow it into the fireplace, just like. Oh, man. Um, and and looking at that now in my imagination, it seems a little crazy. I think about uh, some. I, I was such a safe, undangerous, non-threatening good kid but i think just just the toilet alone i'm i'm terrified of what could happen to our toilet just because i think about oh please be careful with what you put down the toilet because now you know i'm, I'm an old man and I, it's not yeah. my obligation to think about what we put in the toilet i used to ruin the toilet i would put so many things in the toilet to just to literally see will it accommodate a sponge like i, I would just do that oh wow a sponge or whatever oh, or whatever the mind recoils you put things in there and it just goes away but the nice thing about your dad's gas fire situation is you've already it's got its own little uh, not a crucible but it's a it's a fire resistant area so yeah, you're, you're right. in a safe space. But when he came home at night, I can't imagine what, like, residue in terms of smell and other just like the just the polyfluorocarbons in the air, mm-hmm. chlorofluorocarbons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he walks in the door and his son's been been burning gold spray paint in the <laughs> fireplace all afternoon. What is that? smell like what is that how what are the what are the psychic reverberations in the air of that oh yeah like when i come in the house i can tell if my daughter's been doing like nail stuff like as soon as i open the door i'm super sensitive like what is that is that benzene we got a leak what's going on in here what's what's i'm like 50s dad all of a sudden yeah i uh you know okay so what's funny is if if you were to if one were to say to me i know you're not but if one were to say to me did you ever play with matches uh, my mind would instantly like I would do, do the heads up scan. And I would go, no, I didn't play with matches because you say somebody who plays with matches is somebody who goes and sets fires, right? right. That's somebody who's a, as they say, a pyromaniac in the usual sense. I'll tell you though, dead honest, I didn't generally play with matches. I very specifically played with matches. If I'm honest, I liked taking a match and then taking another match. You'd light one match and then you'd light the other match from the first match. Then you could make a little teepee. 
You can make a little teepee with all the little little uh, fiery parts all together at the top. Uh, it might be ping pong. You light the bottom of the teepee, and guess what you get? Poof. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that satisfying when you get a poof? And I, so I, I, I did that one time at our restaurant. I was killing time over in the Anklet room. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, uh, in the side room we use for, for catered affairs. And yeah, I uh, had a big, big ball of fire and uh, an ashtray shattered. And then everyone came running in. Oh, and that's created said, a scene. Yeah, maybe, maybe you should be a busboy or something. Because the, the fire in the restaurant situation <laughs> is oh. not a direction we want you to go. This was in a time uh, for our younger listeners... There were cigarette machines everywhere. Everywhere. You and went. matches. Matches matches, and toothpicks. Matches and toothpicks. Everywhere you go. All the matches you could ever want. All the matches you could want. And cigarette machines also often, the deluxe ones, had a button on them that if you bought a pack of cigarettes and you pushed the button, it would also give you a pack of matches. Like a little uh, fold-over paper TV yeah, matches. That, that had the logo of the, of the bar. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people who bought a pack of cigarettes did not also need a pack of matches because they had fancy lighters from Vietnam. (laughs) And so as a kid who uh, was in and out of bars a lot because of uh, my father and the fact that he didn't have clear boundaries. Well, he had to do it for (laughs) his work. Anytime I saw a cigarette machine, I would walk over, find the button, and push it. Did you find yourself having to kill time in a bar? Oh, I was constantly killing time in bars. Oh, I got to talk about this. Okay. And so, um, so you get the free matches that somebody left behind. Yeah, I'd go get the free matches. I would go, you know, I've told you before, right, that I would, I'd go grab a bar stool and ask the bartender for a shot of whipped cream. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 80% of the time, the bartender and the person sitting next to me on a bar stool thought it was great. And the bartender bring me a shot of whipped cream. And then, you know, it's kind of like putting peanut butter in a Kong. You can't just, you can't just yeah, you can't get get whipped cream out of a shot glass that easily. Further evidence your, that John might be a golden retriever <laughs> with, with your little tongue. So I'd sit there blah, blah, blah. and uh, the, the grown-ups thought that was great. And then somebody would bring me a basket of peanuts or popcorn. And uh, but you know there that was in an era when nobody felt it was their responsibility to mind somebody else's kid. So after a while, I'd get bored. I'd climb down off the bar stool i'd start wandering around the bar trying doorknobs yeah oh i'm a big do- i'm still a big doorknob trier i always try i always try a doorknob because oh. who knows where it leads it may lead into fucking it could narnia be, it could be Narnia. it could just it's an invitation to mystery and you'll never know you lose every doorknob you don't try i try to get my daughter to understand this i really like well well the phrase we use for it i call it quote breaking into things mm-hmm. so we, sure. we like to like places where there's a fence i'm super into crawling under the fence she's now now that she's older she doesn't like it because she's scared she'll get in trouble i'm still super into breaking into the local high school and trying every doorknob and seeing what room we can get into because somebody's always you think those coach you know what the, you know those coaches are making they leave so many things unlocked they do there's so many areas you can get in one day we got in under the stands one day we got in with the weightlifting equipment one day we got in where they keep the shot puts oh my god i love a doorknob my well, eyes are. I do it in hotels. Uh, I'm in a hotel. I'm walking around. We stayed in a hotel over uh, Thanksgiving that was brand brand new. This hotel in Sacramento. I tried every doorknob. It's amazing how weak the security is on a new hotel. Oh, fuck yeah! You yeah. go right into you go right into a hotel room. You just walk in anywhere in that area where it says no entry. That's usually not locked. Now, now with the key card thing, it's gotten more complicated. But a lot of times they just leave that open, and then you see there's sheets in there. You go in there. Oh my god! There's an elevator here I didn't know about. That's good to know. Now you know there's an elevator there. 
I spent the, when key cards first got introduced, a friend of mine and I were in a hotel that had brand new key card, you know, uh, locks. We were just trying doorknobs. Door opened. It was into a hotel room. We went in there and started ordering room service and oh watching cable God. TV. And they brought us food to the room because I guess the it, the room service, it, there weren't computers exactly or like not all hooked together. And yeah, now when you pick up the phone, they go, uh, Mr. Roderick in 1034, yeah. can, how can I help you today? But then it was like, can we get two pizzas to room, you know, yeah. 474? And I mean, we were definitely like sitting on the edge of the bed waiting like we were in a state of mild panic the whole time. Like, when are sure. they going to find us? When are we going to get busted? But we never did. And eventually we, we, we uh, you were, finished you up. You weren't worried about the house dick? Send up the house dick tip- to come get you? Well, but it was like a Sheraton. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a house dick. They didn't dick, have dicks, probably. The, the, thing that, the thing that I think it's hard to convey is that in the 70s and the early 80s, there was a lot of stuff left over from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Everywhere, because the '80s made the '50s look like the '20s, <laughs> and you know there hadn't been a tremendous in downtown areas, especially there hadn't been a tremendous uh, like urban renewal or revitalization. Like old buildings were old, and if you if you tried enough doors, like you would find the civil defense bomb shelter door. Oh and you God. would find the big bins of old flowers that they had. John, now. if you just made it into an old storeroom, nobody cares yeah. what's in the storeroom. They just don't want to see it out in the non-storeroom area. You go in there, you know how much shit there could be in a storeroom that you could play with? There were things in there that were 40, 50 years old. You would find like just stuff leaning in the corner. People don't like, know this today. This? The, the, even in the early 80s, it was still kind of the 50s in a lot of places, especially in like places like restaurants and bars. It was like a time capsule. It really was. You'd find, you know, like you'd go back in some storeroom and it's like, oh, look, it's a 48 star flag. Mm-hmm. Like they took this flag down <laughs> in 1950, put it, rolled it up and put it in the corner and, and, uh, there's, you know, space was cheap. So, uh, I mean, I got a lot of education by just trying doorknobs because, you know, well, like storerooms that had office supplies, storerooms that had just mops in buckets, but the mops were, Old mops, like mm-hmm. they were, Vintage they were mops. mops that, yeah, mops that you kind of wanted to be with because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. were, uh, they felt like, like adult stuff. Like, look at these mops. Like, this is what grownups know about mops and files. And uh, I mean, when when uh, when Watergate was going on, I was just old enough to be kind of in the room. While the TV was on, and, and it was on a people, lot that summer, yeah, boy, Oof. it sure was. People were talking about it a lot, and this idea of these burglars, but they weren't like the Pink Panther; they weren't there to steal a diamond. They like went in and were going through files, files, and and the enduring image I saw. I saw that movie. I don't know, probably junior high or high school. But the enduring image for me was when the cop rolls up in the uh, in the beginning to the garage, mm-hmm. not the cop, the uh, security guard, security. and notices, what, what do you notice? They put tape. Uh, the tape, the, the tape t- on the door. Oh, the tape on the door. It's like, that is so fucking smart. The number of times I've put tape on a door in emulation of G. Gordon Liddy, I oh, can't even tell you. God. And that's, you know, and I, I learned sometime after that, probably, I, I must have been nine or ten when someone taught me how to jigger a, a latch with a credit card. Credit card, yeah. 
and for a long, long time, you could get into 60% of the doors. You Between, I'll tell you, buddy, I, I don't like to say this. I think the times have changed. It's probably safe to say this now. Something uh, rigid but a little flexible, like a credit yep. card and a paperclip. Almost every house in America, every door in every house in America could be unlocked with a paperclip. Paperclip or, a, or in, in, in my case, it was we had season's passes for, to the ski resort starting mm-hmm. when I was you know, oh. seven or eight. And those are slender so you, enough to slide in. Yeah, you had a little laminated card that you could that you were carrying around all the time, and you could like pop doors. And yeah, I didn't. I never stole anything, or I mean, mm-hmm. I never stole anything that seems that seemed like anybody was using it. I mean, obviously, like half half of a can of old paint and some some paper clips or file folders or whatever, empty file folders. I would liberate those sometimes in the in the process of a game, right? If I was like, if I'd broken into a storage closet, and I was pretending to be the Watergate burglars, and I would steal a couple <laughs> file full, empty <laughs> file folders. Let's play Watergate. <laughs> and then, oh, I was thinking about this the other day. I was driving downtown, and I looked over at a building, and it was one of those office buildings from the 1930s that now. You kind of don't see them because when you're in a downtown, the buildings that are most visible are are all these skyscrapers and everybody trying to you know have like an arcade in the downstairs and and then then there are the the iconic buildings, the beautiful ones. But in the 30s and 40s, they built a lot of middle height, 20 story, imposing office buildings. But that are, and they're made out of stone or brick, or you know, they're not they're not metal and glass. And I, I was driving past one of these, and it ha- they have very distinctive vibe. And all of a sudden, I could just smell it in there. I knew those buildings so well because my dad was in government, mm-hmm. and we were always going into these buildings. And you know, those buildings are incredible. Like this, the stairwells are all the step, the stair steps are marble. Um, even even not the formal stairs, but like the back stairs, the the railings are brass. the The doors are solid oak. Like mm-hmm. there's a oh, feeling. Oh, the restrooms. To, Ooh, the, oh, the, the build restrooms. the build quality of restrooms used to be crazy. So phenomenal. Like the 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 dividers between stalls were giant slabs of polished marble. I know. I know. And you know, and the the sound of of people walking in the halls in those buildings back when every woman was in high heels and every man had leather soled shoes. Mm-hmm. So you'd stand in those places in government buildings and just hear this like clack clack clack. Everybody, you, you, was, you knew that serious adult business was getting done. Yeah, people were snapping their 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 shoes. I remember when I first had a pair of shoes that that like made that slap 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 sound on marble. I like did, a talk 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 with like a hard heel. Yeah, I felt mm-hmm. so adult. I bought a pair of shoes like that. I call them a Tom Waits shoes. I bought those uh, at a Goodwill, probably 1985, and boy, I felt very decisive. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, when <laughs> when, when somebody addresses you, uh, do you ever click your heels? Oh, I wouldn't. I should I should do that. Is that kind of an Austrian thing? That seems yeah. like a Christoph Waltz kind of yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I, I got <laughs> I in the habit. You, I could see you doing that. I got in the habit of clicking my heels sometimes when when someone addressed me with like, "Hey, can you help me over here?" or you know, like when when there was an air of authority or finality to what somebody was saying, I would kind of like 
if if the if the expected reply from me was yes or at your service it would be or my at your pleasure. service or something mm-hmm. uh, if i'm holding a door for somebody uh-huh. i'll often click my ear <laughs> it's not it's not a thing that people do anymore and i feel like it has a little it's a, it there's a militaristic aspect to it there's a there's a long arc of history that bends toward you eventually being called commodore <laughs> I think um, you're not far off from just wearing a captain's hat all the time. Think about a Commodore. You know, that's... Um, Is that L. Ron Hubbard? Well, it's a kind of weird rank. Mm, I'm looking it up. Because it's, because it's not a rank. It's, a, it's an office. Oh, look at that. The president yeah. of... Okay, it says a naval officer of high rank. In particular, mm-hmm. an officer in the U.S. Navy or Coast Guard ranking above captain and below rear admiral. Uh, the president also... Uh, one of the president of a yacht club. Or the senior captain of a shipping line. Oh, 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 oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. wow! Dress for the job you want, John. So even in the navy, senior captain of a ship. How fucking choice would it be line. for you to be the senior captain of a shipping line? Well, I think that's what what Hazelwood was, or uh, like uh, the senior captain of a shipping line. But you've got to be good at the sea. Oh, you could probably get pretty good at the sea. I feel like getting good at the sea is like getting good at cards. You have to have been getting good at the sea um, for a long time. You've been getting time. the right kind of lonely with the right timing, but you've been on a lot of cruises. Yeah, but I don't think that has anything to do with getting good at the sea. I mean, I, I love to sit and look at the sea, but when I get close to the sea, hmm. the sea, you know, the sea like has a very low hum. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the sea is, uh, oh, the, the sea is, uh, the sea is tough. That's a that's a that's a tough opponent. It is. It is. The sea the sea the does sea. not care no about you. Try you th- you throw throw a gallon of water at somebody really hard. It kind of hurts. And that's just one gallon. Right. You know what I'm saying? Think about think about how many gallons are in the sea like hundreds. It's got to be at least 60 or 80. There's so many gallons in there. Commodore, so, I mean, but see, Commodore, I like Commodore also because Commodore strikes me is the kind of thing where, like, you know, you can get, like, a, uh, what is it when they give you an honorary doctorate? Mm-hmm. Commodore seems like a rank that somebody could convey on you. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. I mean, are you familiar with the Kentucky Colonels? Yes. I've known some Kentucky Colonels. Have you? Mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about it, but yeah, I mean, my, my we're from Cincinnati, the part of Cincinnati that's basically Kentucky. Right. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad knew a lot of Kentucky colonels. Uh, now, what's J- the process for that? That's an honorary thing. How's you have that to work? Have done, as far as I understand, you have to have done some measurable service to the state of Kentucky. You probably have to be in Kiwanis or similar. Well, Jason Isbell, the singer-guitarist, mm-hmm. is a Kentucky colonel. And he said that he would recommend me as a Kentucky colonel because my people are from Kentucky. Hmm. Uh, But I do not feel like I have really done that much in the service of the state of Kentucky. And so it would feel like a uh, Pyrrhic honor. I I, I don't think I would wear Kentucky colonel. Oh, you feel like it would ring hollow. But this is the thing. I don't want want like like false honor. No, you're not going to steal valor. No, and, 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 and I don't want, like, uh, I don't want a bunch of appendages. You don't need another white ribbon. No, thank you. Mm-mm. If but I'm you do not get, prefer it. This is the thing about, uh, about King Neptune. They can never take that away from me. The trident? Oh, yeah, of course. We, right? Uh, I mean, I'm, that's right. That's right. You, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to show up to things in a sash, but I do well, have a lapel pin. That's true. 
I have a lapel pin that says I was a King Neptune. <laughs> and uh, at a couple of times during my King Neptune reign uh, this past summer, like little old men would, you know, kind of toddle up to me with their ear horn. And uh, and they would say, I was King Neptune in 1961. And we would have this like wonderful little bonding moment. Hmm. Because you realize, like, oh, well, for you to have been King Neptune in 1961, you must have been, like, a, a prominent citizen. Oh, well, I was, you know, oh, I would never say that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and, you know, of course they were. Sure. Uh, and it was a nice little thing. So, I mean, I'm, there's some future King Neptune. The King Neptune of 2060 is going to get an earful. Are you expected to be grooming that person? Should you be out there seeking out the next Neptune? Is that part of your, is that part of your uh, duty as a king? I had this conversation last night. Hmm. Uh, I went to dinner with Peter Sagal, mm-hmm. uh, America's sweetheart, Peter Sagal. And uh, he, does, describing... he does the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me program. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on tour. And so, you know, when people come through on tour, of course, I, I'll go have dinner with them. Mm-hmm. It was Usually, just the two the... of you, or was like Paul Poundstone, Moraka, anybody else come along? None of those people, no, but mm-hmm. uh, but my... Uh, Bill, my Curtis, part, Bill Curtis didn't come? Bill Curtis was not there. I think okay. all those guys have sex abuse accusations now. Okay. They're all, uh, they've all lost their jobs. So you had dinner with Peter Sagal. And with mm-hmm. uh, with Ken Jennings, my little pal. My That's partner. right from your new program, uh, Millennium. Your Millennium. new program, your new program uh, is called... No, 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 it's, it's another show, old show called Omnibus. Uh, there it is. Oh, and you remember that as being an old show, the CBS show. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. One uh, of my podcast co-hosts the other day had heard a podcast about Martha Mitchell, and they said, oh, you know Martha Mitchell? And I was like, shit, dog. Do I know about Martha Mitchell? You're adorable. When you when you say one of your other podcast hosts, I know these people. No, you don't. You can, na- you can name them by name. No, don't. That's unseemly, John. Don't do that. Uh, so you went to dinner with Peter Sagal, who's in the clear so far. Uh, I was explaining. No that's Rocka. right, barely. Okay. I was explaining uh, King Neptune, and then the question came up, do I have a hand in picking the next Neptune? And right. I thought about it. I, it hadn't occurred to me, right? Mm-hmm. It had not occurred to me that that would be some that would be a, uh, some authority that I should wield because toward the end of the summer, some of the people from Seafair started sidling up to me and saying, "We've never done this before, but would you be willing to be Neptune again next year?" Well, you don't get termed out. Well, you do. That's the thing. They've never done that before. There's never been a King Neptune two years in a row. So you're like uh, the Franklin D. Roosevelt of Neptunes. The first King Neptune to ever... Well, I don't know. Maybe they say that every year, and then when it comes time oh, to pick a new Neptune... Oh, sure. Shine, you know, might shine just be like, on a little bit. Oh, you're so good. Maybe you should do this next year, mm-hmm. and then you never hear about that again. I get that a lot. <clears throat> but uh, But I did figure... I did get a little... I was flattered by that, and I would do it again... And so I, I think that probably clouded my 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 sense of duty. What I should do, I should be the George Washington of uh, King Neptune. You hold the you hold the country together by by not continuing in the job. That's right. They ask mm-hmm. you to be uh, president for life, and you say Mm-mm. that's not how a democracy works. And then you nope. retire to Mount you gotta, Vernon. You got to teach them how to say goodbye. Um. So I do feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna start. Thinking about who the next King Neptune should be and start a kind Seems of... Seems clear to me that if you lead, they will follow. By which I mean, if you get out in front of this and you start, you make this the new Kentucky Colonel, 
maybe you're out there and like I say, uh, grooming, well, that's a word with a problematic word, but you, you, you get out there and you figure out, you try to find some new talent for this, some new Neptune material. Well, there's has never there been, been a woman Neptune yet. Well, there is a, there is a queen Alcyon. Yeah. But I mean, has there been a, a King Neptune? That's a woman. You could really, you could really destroy the patriarchy with this. You could destroy the patriarchy. There was, for many, many years within the Seafair organization, there was a King Neptune, and then there was a Miss Seafair. And King Neptune was some Rotary Club doofus, <laughs> like myself, and Miss Seafair was a glamour, it was a glamour position, like a, um, like a uh, Miss like, America. Like a was, did she, a at any point, did the Miss, Miss Seafair, which really sounds like Scientology to me, did Miss mm-hmm. Seafair at any point ever appear in a bathing suit? No, I don't think so. I think it was a ball gown style mm. pageant. Okay. But she did have like her attendant princesses. Mm. Uh, so she had a whole court of people. And then the king and they, they, they appeared together, but it wasn't like they were always sitting next to each other. Miss Seafair was off doing these things. The king was off doing these things like the king was drinking boilermakers somewhere with a bunch of uh, cigar chompers. And Miss Seafair was doing a charity work for the blind. Okay. Okay. And that's nice. And then at a certain point in the 80s, I'm going to say, they introduced Queen Alcyon, who was like separate from Miss Seafair. And it freed Miss Seafair up to become kind of like a, it's like a scholarship position. Whoever Miss Seafair is, there's still oh. a pageant aspect to it. She still has her her attendants, but they're very they're very directed at at charity work they're they're they work with young girls they're you know it's there's a lot of um the work in the community and typically miss seafair at least in recent years has been from um one of seattle's immigrant communities oh that's cool yeah and often that am i am i am i being weird that seems like a kind of a cool thing to do it's often Asian Pacific Island communities, too. Oh, I, I approve of that. That seems kind of, kind of like a cool thing to do. It's great. And what it means is that this year, Miss Seafair is from the Philippines. Next year, Miss Seafair is from Samoa and so so forth and so on. So it, 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 like, it really brings, um, it, 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 it sort of uh, illuminates Seattle's diversity and connection to the Pacific Rim and so forth. Uh, and then Queen Alcyon is a businesswoman, somebody that is prominent in the community. The expectation you know, is that you know she's prominent in the same way that King Neptune is, and the two of them are expected to be sort of yeah right chamber of commerce types, business booster types. Yeah. Until me, the the closest thing that Seattle had to a hipster King Neptune. <laughs> Was Tom Skerritt? Tom Skerritt was King Neptune. Tom Skerritt was uh, was he Trapper John? He was Trapper John in Mash. Yeah. Okay, he was he was in he was in Top Gun. Tom Skerritt. Oh, Highway to the Danger Zone. Yeah, Tom Skerritt is you Tom know Skerritt. Seattle's. Uh, is he is like he a favorite his, son? He is. Yeah, everybody huh. loves Tom Skerritt. He's not problematic, is he? He's not. Tom Skerritt is, and I don't think I'm giving away too much here. Tom Skerritt is pro marijuana. Oh, he likes the marijuana as and a, has as a been thing. for a long time. He's so 84 Tom, years old. Yeah. And Holy he's, shit! 
always stoned, like profoundly <gasps> stoned. Really? So he's very so delightful to have around because he's very he's got a beautiful face. He's very charming. He looks and, very and amiable. He's so amiable. He's so wonderful to oh, just Oh, he was be in he was here. in uh, the Up in Smoke movie with Cheech and Chong. <laughs> huh. Uh, he's had quite a career, Tom Skerritt, and he's got a he's got a nice little drawl. He's just very gentle. He was in Harold and Maud, Up in Smoke. Oh, he was in Ice Castles. Oh, of course he was. He was an alien. He was Dallas, an alien. That's he what we Dallas know him from. Oh, and he's so good in that. He was also King Neptune. Really, a kind of career capper. So you feel like he was the first hipster King Neptune? Yeah, but he's also like. He's an he's an actor. He's a Hollywood star. I mean, mm-hmm. he's uh, it's the type of thing that the people at Seafair would say. Here's a good idea, and you know we have a Hollywood person that we could ask. I'm kind of the first one that's just like, uh, yeah, like whatever. However, you would use the term hipster to denigrate someone. That's me, basically. <laughs> and so his, his pants are cut pretty tight. Tom Scarrett? Yours. Oh, mine. Like, yeah, man of exactly. his age has a pretty tight pants. Yeah, you know, he's 50 years old, but he still cuffs his jeans. That's a good look. You get a nice cuff. He, uh, he, uh, he lives in uh, Lake Washington in suburban Seattle. He lives in Lake Washington? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's truly a king He's Neptune. king Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, where's my but trident? I feel, like, I feel like now that, <clears throat> now that it's happened... For them to pick their next King Neptune out of just that, you know, whatever that uh, burbling cauldron of local dimwits <laughs> that, you know, that are like weathermen and, yeah. and uh, restaurateurs. Uh, I feel or like, like I sh- bands that sound like the Lumineers. Yeah, uh, right. Stomp, 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 yay! Stomp, stomp, yay! Stomp, stomp. Ukulele, ukulele. I've got to figure out who exactly is right for the job because they have to care about Seattle. They have to be civic minded. You should plunge yourself into this. This you could help define this for the next generation. I think that twenty years from now, it's going to be Macklemore. Like it's oh, the type Jesus. of thing that he will graduate into one day because he loves Seattle. Um. Anyway, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to appoint myself part of this search. See what we can do. You know, they say lead follower, get out of the way. You're the fucking king, man. Fucking A. <clears throat> I'm looking at the page. Um, this is at uh, KY Kernels. Mm, that's unfortunate. KYKernels.org. <laughs> KY Kernels. Um, I sent this to you accidentally twice. Uh, famous Kentucky Kernels. I don't want to go through all of these. Um, Walt Disney. Whoa. Uh, John Depp. Uh, you got Mae West, Betty White, Zach Wilde, the fiddly guitar guy. I know him well. Dwight Yoakam. But the, you know what's kind of strange about this? I don't know why this bothers me so much. Uh, P- Peter Kinder, the lieutenant governor of Missouri. Many people who are president. And you notice here, though, for each person who is president, they always say former U.S. president. You're never a former president. It's like a Marine. Yeah, but you're like, always uh, president. Henry Cuellar, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It says he was here, never a president. It says U.S. representative of Texas. Now, oh. John S. Cooper, they do say former U.S. representative. I don't think you should refer to people as a former president. I think you say they were a U.S. president. So, Lee Majors, it doesn't say former TV actor. Right. You know what I'm Although saying? Although that's true of him, right? Did, did he, he passed, didn't he? Uh, don't I don't know. I, I wasn't going to say former in that sense. I was going to say, like, 
what has Lee Majors done lately? Yeah, that's true. Colonel Colonel Harlan Sanders, he's referred to here as a businessman. But like a like a former president, if someone says President George Bush, you had better know that he's not president anymore. Right? Yeah. The former is is superfluous. And when, I think it's, when you do one of those events where you get three, four, five, it's like it's like a Doctor Who situation. When you get three, four, five of them together in a room, I think then you could refer to them as the former presidents. I might I might be doing a Robert Smigel joke at this point. I don't mean to, but mm-hmm. I think I think former presidents is useful to say that the the however many it is I think it's the the longest largest number current the current number of living presidents is the greatest in history. I believe. Yeah, I think it's true. You got Carter, H W, Clinton, W. Who Obama. am I missing? Anybody? It's at least four. Uh, with, no, that's it. For, Ford is gone. Reagan Ford is, is gone, gone. Reagan's gone. Nixon's gone. Yeah. So Carter is Carter is the oldest, and then, or wait a minute, Carter and George Herbert Walker Bush. They're contemporary. Are very similar in age, right? They were they both, both in the Navy in World War II, I believe. Yeah, and maybe Herbert Walker is actually older than than Jimmy Carter. I'm not You've sure. Seen those videos of Jimmy Carter just walking around doing stuff. He's really something, isn't he? Did you see him on the plane? Did you see that? I didn't see him. Somebody on shot plane. a video of him on a plane. Jimmy Carter, fucking love this guy. Jimmy Carter, he's got he's got to be ninety. Jimmy Carter just walking down. First of all, to have the presence of mind to walk through coach, he's got a very low key Secret Service person with him, literally walking through coach and shaking the hand in the seat of any person who wants to shake his hand. And you know who wants to shake Jimmy Carter's hand? Fucking everybody. The enti- everybody is thrilled. This sweet, gentle, kind old man with a fucking bolo tie is spending, taking his time. He could go be sitting in first class, you know, probably having a beverage. He's walking through a coach, smiling, broad smile, shaking hands and a kind word to every person who wants to greet him. That's graciousness. That is a gracious man. That's all I'm going to uh, say about he's that. He's always had a lot of class. Will you be like that as king? Will you keep that in mind? How important it is, first of all, obviously, to reach out to young people and to, to groom them, but also how important it is that you, that you be out there putting a good face on on the, the Neptune Kingdom. Let me just throw this out there: Jimmy Carter was born October first of nineteen twenty four, and uh, George <sighs> Herbert Walker Bush was born in June of nineteen twenty four. So wow. they are three months apart in age. I'll be damned. Uh, or four months apart. And uh, H.W. was head of CIA under, what, probably Ford? Uh, under under Nixon. Was Nixon. Okay, all right. Wow. Uh, wow. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Let's make sure of that. George H.W. Bush. And then wasn't he like the ambassador to China, I want to say? Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Looking on the Internet Science site for George H.W. Bush. Internet science, science. Oh, okay, so under Ford. 76 to 77. It was under Ford. Okay. Oh, okay, it was that late. The second chief of the 49th Chair Republican National Committee, second chief of the U.S. Liaison Office to the People's Republic of China. That's 74 to 75 under Ford. Let's see. Oh, oh, he was the United States, the 10th United States Ambassador to the United Nations under President Richard Nixon. Uh, 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 George Herbert Walker Bush. Yes. He was the mm-hmm. uh, 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 so he was the tenth United States ambassador to the United Nations from March of nineteen seventy one to January of nineteen seventy three. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. You know, he and my uncle Jack were uh, in college together. Uh, Yale? Mm-hmm. No kidding. 
Uncle Jack. Yeah, Uncle Jack and he went to school together and um, and were uh, contemporaries and, and knew each other. Um, Uncle Jack, did, I, have I ever told you about the time that Uncle Jack was <laughs> tapped for skull and bones? <laughs> I don't care. Tell me again. No, 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 no. No, I don't care in the sense that I don't care how many times you've told the story. I would like to hear it again, please. <laughs> I love any story you have that includes an uncle. Yeah. Uncle Jack was a football star. And um, in the Navy, he was a football star here at Seattle's Broadway High School. And then he joined the Navy toward the end of the war. And he was down at, at, in Olathe, Kansas, getting his flight training. And he was playing on some uh, intramural football team. And it was very much like the plot of the movie MASH. Hmm. Some flight instructor, some you know major in the Navy saw him running in touchdowns on this, on this uh, field and said, uh, we've got to get you, we've got to transfer you to this other unit because we've got a very competitive football team over there. Hmm. Little by little, he got in front of somebody who said, after the war... We'd like to help you use the GI Bill to go to Yale because we are Yale alumnus, uh, alumni, mm-hmm. and uh, we're trying to, you know, and we want we want Yale to beat Harvard in the big football game. And so Uncle Jack ended up at Yale on the GI Bill after the war as their um, star end. And during that immediate after the war period, he was... Um, he was a big shot there, and his there there there's a copy of the New York Times with the big headline, like top of the fold, you know, uh, Yale beats Harvard or whatever, uh, and big picture of my uncle running in the the winning touchdown. He was an All American. Damn. And um and so was uh, BMOC there <laughs> during that period. Mm-hmm. And so, and this was the period immediately after the war where all these guys that had fought in the Navy were coming back to college. So like George Herbert Walker, Poppy, mm-hmm. uh, was a Navy pilot also, and, a, and actually like a war hero. Uh, and they were all returning, returning to the college. So they weren't a bunch of 18-year-olds, right? They were 24-year-olds, and some of them had, had, uh, had some hard times out there, um, and but they're back in college now, and they're just like, uh, uh, you know, college men. Mm-hmm. So my uncle's take on it as a Seattleite and as a uh, the, a Northwesterner from a time when the Northwest was still pretty isolated from the rest of the country and the world, and also because he was a Roderick, he had what you could describe as a very strong reverse snobbery against institutions mm-hmm. and institutional wealth and uh, what even then would have been called privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kept this chip on his shoulder, this sort of flannel and cedar chip on his shoulder. <laughs> whenever he encountered any kind of East Coast money or East Coast attitude, which, of course, then there was a lot of. So Poppy, as he calls him, 
was an example of this sort of very blue blood East Coast Maine, you know, summer house in Maine kind of of uh, elitism. And he, George Bush was dating um, his wife, uh, whose name I was ju- just on the tip of my tongue, Barbara. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. He was dating Barbara Bush even then. And I think they married at Yale and had George Walker Bush at Yale because they were, this was, you know, they were college people, which yeah. was, which meant full grown people. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the night of the big, uh, the night where all of the secret societies all tapped their new members, I think you're out on the quad or something and there's torchlight. I mean, it's all the old, uh, the old scary rituals that date back to Egypt. Um, Uncle Jack felt a tap on his shoulder and a and a whisper in his ear. Skull and bones. Yes he got, or he no? Got the, he got the tap. He got the tap for skull and bones. Yes or no? And Jack said no. Line because, in the sand. Because skull and bones was elitist. Oh my goodness. And he was a man of the people. He was a lumberjack from out west. He was a man of the people. Now, he and I have talked about this 100,000 million times. And even back in the 80s when when men of his age were not at all self-reflective, and he was not at all (laughs) self-reflective, my father was not, they did not engage, they did not indulge themselves in a lot of, where did I go wrong? Yeah. What could I have done better? But I said to him, Should I have of been course, more vulnerable? Yeah, exactly. What if I'd talked to people more nicely? I wish I'd listened more. I said to him, of course, like, oh my God. Like, that's dumb. Did did you do you regret it? And he said, Yes, mm-hmm. very much. I was an idiot. I should have joined Skull and Bones. Are you kidding me? Everything would have been I different. Like, I was like, oh fuck. Mm-hmm. Come on. I was wondering. I, mean, I was also wondering if, like, when you get the tap and you say no, is it kind of like a mafia type situation where now, you know, now it's you're not only not in, but now you're out. Like you're way out. Like you're gonna you're gonna have some problems now. I can't imagine that they get a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. Now maybe they did before. I'm sure there are still reverse snobs. I'm mm-hmm. sure there are still people who are like, I'm too good for skull and bones. But I bet you they make a short list. I don't. I don't think that they go out and say, "Let's get five hundred names and and we'll pick the first 15. Mm-hmm. I bet it's a small list, and 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 probably was then too. Uh, but you know that you never see a Roderick coming. Am Mm-mm. I right? <laughs> you guys are slippery. You got your own Ugh. thing going on. Really got your own thing going on. Oh, infuriating! And the thing is, you know, that butterfly flaps its wings problem. Spooky action at a distance. Sure, everything lines up this one way, pointing to Germany. Can you imagine I, that? Can you imagine they're so used to everybody begging to get in, right? Yeah. You say no, no, no. First of all, no, but also there's a tap. If there, if there, if this were you, there'd be a tap. You get no tap. But then on top yeah. of it, you they probably vetted. They vetted your uncle. They've they've gone oh, through all sure. the steps. They've they they even might feel like, oh, we're pretty sure he's going to say yes because obviously the man's not an idiot. Right. He knows this is going to change his game. Right. And he just well, says, no, thank you, no. And, and, and he was, like the contextualizing, the important context is that he was a huge star. 
he was not just a star at Yale, but he was like a national star. He was one of these college football guys that was that rose up to the point that people in the country knew him by name because he was that he was the guy from Yale that kept scoring touchdowns. Wow. And so he had I think at that moment a feeling of a feeling that he was too good for Skull and Bones. Mhm. Wow. And it was during a time when the idea of being a student athlete had much more of a kind of Greek association. Sounds like with being it. a soldier scholar. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, the idea you come back from the war and you get the GI Bill, right? Mm-hmm. Similar kind of thing. Like, you, that was a hyphen that mattered. Student, it was. student scholar. It was. And he, so he didn't feel like he was just there on a football scholarship. He felt like, um, I mean, I think there was a part of him that felt pretty justified in um, in his feeling that he wasn't here because of old money. He wasn't here because of who his dad was. He had earned this place okay. by virtue of being um, an athlete. And wh- if you talk to him now, uh, and he is self-reflective now, after being forced to become self-reflective by his daughters, uh, he will say that he felt very insecure there, coming from the Northwest Everybody was friends. Everybody there knew what the rules were. They they did have money. They did, they they had the, they had etiquette. They had class. They had connections. And he was a hayseed, or worse, he wasn't a hayseed. They, we didn't even have hay out here. Mm. He just you know <laughs> he just he smelled like pines and owl poop. Mm. Uh, so he was insecure, and and he says like. Part of that attitude, part of saying no to them was because I was totally insecure and didn't feel like I would, if I got in there, I would just be a rube. Right. Um, But I can't know because, of course, this is a long, long time before I was born, before my dad and my mom even met. Is there a world in which Uncle Jack could have been in Skull and Bones and also that not affect the timeline where my dad meets my mom Mm-hmm. And oh, I am born. I see. Yep. Yep. Because I think if Jack was in Skull and Bones, then when Jack graduated, he wouldn't have gone out to Alaska and gotten into the oil business. I think he probably would have gone into the CIA or mm-hmm. some other kind of thing, gone to work, gone to run General Motors. And my dad would not have let that little thing not affect the course of his life as well. So it may be that, you know, that the Polaroid picture of me starts to fade if this story or, gets Or, in a certain kind of timeline, what if, for the sake of argument, Uncle Jack had accepted the tap, realized it was wrong, that it would lead to all kinds of problems, which it did in this one timeline, and he went back and changed it. What if you're hmm. living out a timeline where Uncle Jack definitely made the right decision? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. All right? Right? People are always saying, you know, you think about, oh, well, you know, what you do in time travel, be careful, butterflies' wings. Yep. Who, who's to say that the time travel wasn't available or will be available at some point? And uh, Uncle Jack goes back and fixes everything. There's so much that could have been different if Uncle Jack had been in the CIA through the 50s. Mm-hmm. He would have worked, he I probably mean, at a point would have worked for a fellow veteran, uh, George H.W. Bush. He would have been, been a Commodore by that point, probably. He might have been. 
George Herbert Walker Bush, oh, for that shit. matter. Maybe maybe Bush wasn't the director of the CIA under Ford. Maybe it was Uncle Jack. It's a doppelganger. Like it did a face-off or something, maybe. A little bit of a face-off. Um, I I wonder if I wonder if, you know these days on the internet you can mm-hmm. go find things. I wonder. I've never gone and looked at Uncle Jack's Yale career, but I'm sure some intrepid person will. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. All Let's right. not dredge up the past. I won't talk about yeah. time travel. All right, good. I think there's something to be said, though. Well, first of all, on the one hand, yeah, there is this certain thing. Uh, if you figure you got a guy here, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, seed without the hay. He's come up. He's been, uh, and you know, he's served. He's he's, he's d- done adult things, and um, that might have been a great honor of his life to say fuck you to Skull and Bones. Well, for, this for, is for a thing, time. For a time. This is the thing for both my dad and my uncle, uh, which is that they made a lot of decisions like that. Both of them did. A lot of like, ah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and later in life, they did both reflect on it and say, well, I fucked up there. Mm-hmm. And in the case of my dad, I, you know, I would grab him by the shirt and say like, no, no, everything you did was consistent with the, with the plan, with a worldview. Like you didn't fuck up. That was just what you did. This is how that was part of what made you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my uncle is much more sanguine about that than my dad ever was. I think my uncle Jack does believe that, and he's like, "Yeah, well, what can I, what can you say? Like, um, wheel in the sky keeps on turning." Mm-hmm. Where, whereas my dad, uh, my dad didn't a hundred percent reconcile himself to the idea that there's no such thing as a mistake. And I think part of it is that. Sometime in the 1950s, my uncle went down in his little Piper Cub and hammered some stakes in the ground in the Kenai Peninsula and went and filed with the with the state surveying board that he was claiming this. Uh, he was claiming the oil rights to this hundred acres on the Kenai, and it was a hundred acres that. Where oil was discovered. When did he do this? In the fifties. In the fifties, there was a you kind just do of that? there was a kind of gold rush of oil. Whoa! Um, <laughs> where you could <laughs> a gold just, rush of oil. Okay. Yeah, just like staking a claim for a gold claim, mm-hmm. you could just go down. You they they had you all had these to improve maps. The land you claim the land and improve it, and that's yours. Nope. Nope. No. No. You just claim. You just made the claim. Uh. Like the the land was divided up into grids, and you could kind of go down there and you could speculate based on the geology. Like, huh, I think this looks like there might be oil under here, and this looks like better, whatever. And every citizen had as much a right to do it as a company, because it wasn't a bidding process. It was you just, just first go, come, first serve. Yeah, you just go file a claim. It costs fifteen dollars to process the paperwork. Wow. It was a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, but so he got some, he claimed some, he had some oil claims. Well, he wrote a book about this called Crude Dreams. Crude Dreams by Jack Roderick. You're kidding. Because Uncle Jack was front and center for the big oil rush in Alaska of the 50s and 60s. And when they discovered oil on the North Slope at Prudhoe Bay, there was a real tussle within the state that 
the oil claims for that property be apportioned out by the same process. File a claim, file mm-hmm. a, you know, pay your $500 fee and uh, everybody gets their shot at hmm. it, which would have produced multiple billionaires of just regular Alaskans. Even with a fairly small amount of land? Because there's so much oil up there. I mean, mm-hmm. they, like when when I was living in Alaska in the 1980s, they passed one billion barrels of oil. I don't know how many barrels of oil they've taken out of Prudhoe Bay, but it's a lot of oil. And so all you would need is to have a small, you know, like 0.001% of yeah, yeah. any of that would be an enormous amount of money for, and, and there was this, there was this argument that we should open this up to Alaskans. This is the, this is the, um, the, uh, like that it's birth in the, rate. It, yeah, that's right. It's in the spirit of the state, mm-hmm. uh, of the, of the new state. And the counter argument was if we put these up for auction, <gasps> yep, then the oil companies will pay a lot of money for them. Mm-hmm. And that money will go into the state coffers and coffers, and coffers pay, love money. Yeah, and they will pay for schools or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there, there was a they held like a big congress up there where these things were these ideas were argued and then eventually it did it did become a system where wherein those leases were auctioned but uncle jack's little little claim his oil claim down on the kenai peninsula uh was pre- predated that process and it's not like he sank a a well on his land and had a gusher mhm but as the years went by and the oil companies consolidated their land down there and, you know, they had offshore drilling rigs and they, they pumped a lot of oil out of, out of uh, Turnigan Arm, um, they bought his claim and gave him a small, a tiny fractional percentage. But it was a steady... Did they like, put the arm on him? No, it was just like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jack Roderick? You can go out there with a shovel and a bucket this comes and try up and get a lot. your oil? This comes up in, this comes up in that, uh, the, the Daniel Day-Lewis movie. It comes up in that show Godless. You say, like, oh, you got, you got all the oil. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to get yeah. it out? What are you, right. you know, smart guy. Yeah, what are you going to do? You're going to, uh, you're going to, you're going to uh, refine it there and fill up your fucking yeah, car? Yeah, we're giving you the tap. <laughs> so, yeah, they say, like, uh, there is a little bit of take it or leave it. But, but at the time, they're, 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 they're good deals and bad. I think he got a fine deal. So Uncle Jack reflects on his life from a position of a, a little bit. I mean, he still lives in the same house he lives he lived in in 1956. Um, but he had the luxury of not having to scramble because he did have this guaranteed constant kind of income. Oh, and I don't be, think that it would was be a, nice. That I don't would think it's a nice. fortune, right? It was just like. No, but it's nice to have a little base. Just cover the rent. That'd be nice. That's right. It's nice to have a little base. And my dad, as he got older, had not made any. He didn't have any plan like that. He didn't. He never, for a second in the course of his life, thought, "Well, what happens one day?" Um, 
kind of like me, right? Well, neither yeah. of us really think about the future that much. Yeah, I know. But then at the end, he's kind of like, oh, shit. Uh, it's a little bit harder for him to say, I don't give a shit about Skull and Bones. Because he, he, I think that little cushion makes a big difference in how you, how you evaluate you picking up, your Pick out the phone for the timeshare. Yeah, that's right. That sucks. Hmm. Wish we get the tap. <sighs> I know. Could you well, use a tap you... right now? I feel like I could use a tap. I'm all, I've been waiting for the tap for a long time. You're ready for the tap. You're the anchor man. At, at Gonzaga, mm-hmm. uh, when I went to Gonzaga, they had eliminated fraternities and sororities because of all the problems that they had with those organizations in mm-hmm. the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, they their solution, Gonzaga solution. I think some colleges tried this. They just eliminated fraternities and sororities. But they had one group, which they called a service organization, which was called the Knights and Spurs. And the Knights were the boys and the Spurs were the girls. Hmm. And they had matching polo shirts, the boys, and the girls had matching, I don't know what, blouses, blouses, mm-hmm. chemises. Blouses. And they would uh, supposedly go out and do service. And I don't know what that meant. You know, they would like uh, do beautification of something or I don't. They were not a by uh, as far as I could tell any kind of service organization. They were a fraternity and sorority. Mm-hmm. And there was a night early on in the year when the Knights and Spurs would go out and tap their members for the coming year. And once you were a knight in a spur, you were always a knight in a spur, right? I mean, you got tapped in just like you were tapped for Skull and Bones. Or the presidency or a marine. Yeah, exactly. You get tapped for the presidency. And I remember the night that the, the knights and spurs went out to tap uh, all their people. And I was sitting in my dorm room <laughs> reading something really hard to read, something super deep. And you could hear them out. You could hear the shrieks. You could hear the tapping. You could hear the tapping. The mm-hmm. shrieks of girls when they realized they'd been tapped by the spurs. You could hear dudes going like, hoo, 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 mm. all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of noise, a lot of energy in the, on the campus. And you could also feel the energy of, of a handful of thousand of people who were not going to get tapped by the knights and spurs mm. sitting and either feeling small and isolated or seething or, or just putting earplugs in and trying to ignore it. And, uh, and I remember that feeling of sitting in my room in the full breadth of knowledge that there is no way in a billion trillion years that I was going to get tapped by the Knights and Spurs. Mm-hmm. Unless there was I like was, a clerical error. I was the opposite, the absolute opposite of it. Mm. And also, I would have hated being in the Knights and Spurs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. I've never been tapped for anything. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get that. I wanted to get that tap. I think it's still so, coming, John. I think it's still coming. I, just so I could have said no. You could. You could be the anchor man. I mean, you got. You got tapped to be king. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you know what? You're right. I did get tapped to be. You got king. tapped. Now you go tap somebody else. Tap but them nobody in. came up behind me and like. Tap me on the shoulder, but you know they kind of did. They just came. They're probably up afraid you punch front. them or something. You know, yeah. You start right. going around tapping people, elbow to the nose. I like this idea. Maybe I start the tradition. You're the tapper. You're the one who taps. I'm the tapper. I tap the next king. <laughs> You're the tapper. 
<laughs> you're King Tapper. <laughs> you just start tapping people. I'm you Tapper go, John. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to RoderickOnTheLine.com Limited amount of time Please go buy a t-shirt Oh yeah If you don't have a t-shirt yet yeah. You gotta get one Man these t-shirts are great Yeah RoderickOnTheLine.com yeah. RoderickOnTheLine.com Get a t-shirt Get one for your Get one for your significant other Get mm-hmm. one for your dog Or your kids There yeah. are lots available Tapper John Great Incredible Christmas presents Am I right Merlin? Yes <clears throat> I totally agree These could totally yeah. be given as gifts These are really good you, I wish they'd give us a better Given us a better URL uh, Christmas is coming. Mm, coming uh, so hard. Yeah, winter is coming. Yes. And uh, yes. get these shirts because they're warm. You know nothing, John Roderick. Mm. Tepper, 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 John. Tepper, John. <laughs> All, right. That's it. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody.